The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey there. Welcome to Nick Pollock and Friends, where I talk to people I know and who you should know. Today, it's Jenny Butler, and I got to say, Jenny, it is wonderful talking to you today. I met you, uh, well, I met you, I guess, years ago, 2019 at First Pitch, Arizona. I met you years before that on the PitcherList Slack channel. Yes. Uh, when it was Slack. And I, I I felt like I really got to know you super well this past year at First Pitch, Arizona, as we shared our lament. Actually, I don't know if it was me or only me. Maybe you were rooting for Dusty. I don't know. Of Game 6 of the World Series. Uh, but it's great having you here. And thanks for taking the time. Thank you for asking me. This is so much fun. Yeah, I, uh, I witnessed, you know, the the angst of Nick Pollock in that moment. I've Zach never, Wheeler, I've never seen out. so somebody so upset Seven over a pitcher he, being eight, taken out of a game. <laughs> Blake Snell 2.0. Yeah, I didn't really have a dog in that fight. So I was just... Uh, yeah. I was just happy to watch it. I really wish it wouldn't have been at the, on at the same time as the home run derby. You know, it sounds oh, like that would have been fun. But yeah. if it's, a, I mean, World Series, I can't, I'm not going to skip a World I, Series game. I was so. honestly so shocked at how many people Me too. left and didn't watch game six of the World Series. We're not going to name cool names. Say it, so we're exactly. fine. Exactly. Yeah. Sharing the table with you, Sarah Sanchez and uh, Lauren Arabach was wonderful. Um, but Jenny... Tell everybody uh, where they can find you on Twitter and what you do in this space. Yeah, so my Twitter handle is Jenny Butler 830 Right now, or last year, I guess, I was writing for Fantrax and Rotoballer. Um, I've already planned on doing some off-season writing for Rotoballer, and then I think next year is a little bit of a TBD. So uh, right now, though, you can find me at Rotoballer. And uh, last year, I wrote a monthly um, preview, schedule preview type article for Fantrax, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Schedule preview being like looking ahead at the future schedule. Yeah. The idea was to look ahead for the entire month so Mm -hmm. that you could, you know, looking at like, oh, this team's going to cores. This is, you know, that sort of thing so that you could plan ahead with the idea of maybe making those free agent pickups a week ahead. Stuff like that. I'm all for that. We have our expected uh, SB schedules. uh, I love that document. Regularly. And oh, I need that. That's such a huge deal. Uh, So thanks for doing those. Yeah. Um, But uh, but Jenny, yeah, what we're going to do. We're gonna we're gonna figure out everything, learn, I should say, everything about you. So I want to start oh, no. at the very beginning. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Cincinnati. I grew up in the northern suburbs of Cincinnati, in uh, you know just full on suburbia kind of situation. And so I, you know, I went to 
a really, really big high school. You know, I graduated with over 850 students at, you know, just in my class and we were crammed into a tiny little outdated (laughs) school. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm used to big school, big school. I went to big college, big company I work for now. So I'm definitely a small fish in a big pond kind of person. Well, you certainly excel there. Um, And so I must mean you're a Reds fan. I am a Reds fan. You're a Reds fan. Oh, boy. Can you tell them to get a better (laughs) camera angle? Uh, Well, I I would like to tell them to get a better team first. (laughs) And then we'll worry about the camera angle. You know what? (laughs) A little while. One day, I, I this is this is a real dream and aspiration I have is for the entire fantasy baseball community one day to pool enough money and make enough in this that we can own a team. I don't know how. Yes, but let's do it. We need a we need a major league baseball team to be a team <laughs> of the people, like truly. Yep. Um, I, I've always joked that it's going to be the Colorado Rockies, and the first order of business is to get them out of Colorado. Uh, I'm so sorry, Colorado, but we just need to be on a flatter ground you know maybe we'll be nearby just not there yeah um but uh but maybe we can target the reds too um and and help you out just because first order business get move that camera angle second find a way to to roster a proper team it's real rough right now i'm so sorry but i love hunter green (laughs) and nick lodolo and that's really fun but this is not a baseball analysis podcast i was just learning about jenny so uh your reds fan what were the dreams and aspirations of young jenny butler I have heard you ask this question, other people, and I thought to myself, "What were my? I don't even remember having like <laughs> I want to. I want to be a such and such, you know. When I grow up, uh-huh. I know that briefly I considered a veterinarian, but mm. then I figured out that I can't see animals in any kind of distress. Uh-huh. So you know that pretty much yeah. puts the kibosh on that. Yeah, sure. So you know, I I just. I did good in school. I'm definitely a math and science focused person. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have anything specific that I wanted to do um, until maybe high school. High school is where um, I had my first chemistry class and I really liked that. And I kind of thought like that might be, you know, the direction that I want to go in. But mm-hmm. I wasn't somebody who was a young child, like pretending to do things like I one thing that you'll see in a theme about me across all of this is I am not a person who is into like make believe or fiction or uh-huh. things like that. So Just I, that. you know, I didn't, I didn't play pretend games when okay. I was a kid. You know, I played board games. I did crafts. I, mm-hmm. you know, I watched, you know, this is relevant to this. I watched baseball from a toddler. My parents, you know, people will put their children in front of cartoons to, you know, give them some free time. My parents would put me in front of a baseball game because that mm. would keep my attention. And so, like, I've always liked um, competition and sports. And, you know, I like one of my favorite shows growing up was American Gladiators. Oh, and I used man. to watch like Saturday, Saturday morning bowling, yeah. you know, and all now that it's kind of stuff. realized in its actuality in football. That's what yeah. it is. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Football. Football's not exactly yeah, my thing, but but no, I, I remember, of course, the giant Q-tips. We had Turbo on there. Oh yeah, uh, that was I, I enjoyed it. I remember playing with my friends doing our own American Gladiators. How could you not? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I'm God. just more of like a. I, my parents tell me that I never believed in Santa Claus as a kid. <laughs> like from from minute one, they tried to tell me that story, and I was just like, mm, no, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not really buying that. 
So, you know, it's just sort of how I've always been. It's how I am now. I, you know, I don't watch a lot of um, fictional television. I don't mm-hmm. watch a ton of movies. I don't really read fictional books. It's just sort of how I, the, the things that I'm drawn to are much more in the nonfiction sort of realm. Sure. So I, I guess then, you know, what books are, or would you recommend that would be your favorite ones in the nonfiction realm? Oh, Lord. See, now you're putting me on the spot. So I yeah, I know this is going to happen I can't a lot. Say, I can't say that I have physically read a book in quite a while. Oh, okay. I mean, that's actually a common, very common thing now. Like I got back into yeah. it. I'm reading Sanderson, which is fiction and all. Um, he's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but uh, OK, so then shifting that, I'm just thinking of like, all right, so you're not into, you know, watching Netflix a ton unless it's like a documentary. I would imagine. Documentaries. I watch a ton okay. of Netflix what's, documentaries. What's the best documentary? Oh, so let's see. I just watched the Nexium documentary on HBO, which was disturbing but also great. The Nexium? Um, yeah, Nexium. It's N E X I V M. It's that um it's sort of a cult story with mm-hmm. like sex trafficking and stuff. It's very it's it's a disturbing topic, but also like fascinating. It, it's funny. You say it's like a cult story. I'm like, oh like pictureless and then sex trafficking. Oh absolutely <laughs> not like Oh no, no, not like pictureless. Um oh, you know what's interesting? I just watched yesterday um a documentary on Netflix called How to Fix a Drug Scandal, which was particularly fascinating to me because it was a story of um some malfeasance that went on in the two drug labs in Maryland in the mid 2010s. Mm-hmm. So the the crime labs, the drug labs that they have there, they had at simultaneously one person at each of their two drug labs falsifying data. Well, one of them was fully falsifying data and the other one was uh, an addict who was working in the drug lab and, you know, pilfering drugs out of the supply and just for me personally because you know i'm sure we'll get to it but this is sort of what i do like the fact that that was allowed to go on is mind-blowing to me so like i was hanging on every word of that one but yeah i'm a big true crime person you know um datelines and 2020s and all that kind of stuff forensic files yeah oh i love forensic files that's that's right up my alley (laughs) and the because I am a forensic chemist. So yeah, that's what I go. do. And um, yeah, I love that stuff. Nice. And is music at all involved here? I like music, but I have very controversial music tastes. Do you? <laughs> so I there's a lot of things, and specifically because there's a lot of things that I don't like. So a lot of very popular bands that I don't like. I have a constant battle with my boyfriend over Rush. I find Rush just... M- it's the voice, Maddening. right? It's the voice. Thank the you. Voice. No, Getty Lee's voice is known to be like, it's, it's, it's it can be any, very cringy. Any band where times, you've got yeah. a guy with a screechy voice like that, I can't handle it. <laughs> ACDC. Yeah. Nope. Can't You're do it. You're not into that one. Okay. No. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I like very specific. I like 60s and 70s, like psychedelic rock. Mm-hmm. I like 90s grunge. Okay. And then just some random smattering of stuff that I hear. I'll like hear something and really like it. And it's just like a single song. Uh-huh. And I'll add it to a playlist and then that's yeah. it. I don't want to like know anything else by that artist. I don't want to, I just sure. have the song that I found that I like. So I have like a couple of playlists that I listen to all the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not how most people are. You know, most people say I things, actually, oh, I, I love all kinds of music yeah, no, no, and that no, kind of the, stuff. I'm, I'm like you in this I'm way. not that person. Well, it's good though. You know what you like. I think yes. that's actually an important thing. And, and those that know who they like 
I don't know. I gravitate to that more because you've actually spent time to analyze your own tendencies and what you enjoy and what you don't instead of just kind of letting the world take you, you know, uh, and just kind of going with that completely. Be like, oh, wait, no, hold on. That thing was cool. And that's good. That's why you're a good analyst. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I'm, I'm the same way with music where I I have certain elements I, I love. Yancey knows my taste completely now. It's pretty funny. I keep sending him <laughs> recommendations and all of this. You're not going to like this or that. Um, but uh, I'm very much of a guitar-focused thing with, but not fast drums. And I want melodic vocals, but not... I, I mean, I hate growls. Uh, I, I can't... I don't care for lyrics. Lyrics, oh. I don't... I don't... I just... I don't... Mm-mm. <laughs> I don't listen to that. I just listen to the, the the arrangement and the melodies and and the production and all of that. Just and the choices of like how are you doing this progression? How was the harmony? Like there's sometimes it's really cool where you all of a sudden you hear a backing vocal and the way it goes in different directions and all that stuff. This doesn't surprise uh, me at all about you. <laughs> really? Is that <laughs> just right? Just because? Well, I think it equates to your you know picture analysis and that like it's something that you've done. So you have sort of an insight that other people might not have. I've never played a musical instrument in my life. Oh, I've really? never have you ever tried? played a team. I, no, never picked up a musical instrument. In you my don't life. have any interest. Well, I, I understand you're I, saying like on the side of like I picked it up because I wanted to create it. something new. Yeah, I would. But I just sort of it's one of those things that I just sort of have never gotten around to doing. Mm-hmm. It's like I've never skied. I've just. I, oh, yeah, I don't I don't, I don't have right. anything for skiing. Also, I'm six foot four now. I, I, I like my knees. <laughs> Yeah. So like, you know, it's something that you've done that you can like see the intricacies of Mm. that somebody like me doesn't see. Like I don't hear individual um, instruments a lot of times in music. I sort of hear the whole thing together. The thing is, and I see sort of a picture as a whole thing. I don't I don't see the little tiny details that you see. You do see the picture, the details. I do. You don't give yourself enough credit whatsoever for that, Jenny. Not the level that you do. And I'm not, yeah. I, that's fine with me. I don't, it's not something like, I don't think of it as like a character flaw. I just, uh, I just sort of look at things in a, in sort of the bigger picture, mm-hmm. I guess. Well, so I actually remember having this conversation with my dad who he's, uh, he was a music engineer for 30 years, like in the studio with the faders, all that kind of stuff, right? He was the guy receiving it would have, there's actually a story that he has of, uh, <laughs> he went into like a, um, like a Tower Records once. This is ridiculous. And uh, he's in Tower Records and he's just had like 30 minutes to spare. And if you don't know what Tower Records is, like, oh, okay, I've aged myself. Yeah. But um, yeah, right. We we know, Jenny. We know. <laughs> uh, but essentially digital music destroyed Tower Records. It used to be like the big thing in Times Square. This is where you got all your oh, CDs. Yeah. So my dad goes in, he's waiting. Uh, he's got a couple of minutes to spare or whatever. And he's just waltzing around. And there's a salesman who goes to like the speaker section. The salesman's like, oh, you got to check out these speakers. And it's like these normal, like whatever speakers. He knows exactly the model and stuff. Like, They're fine. And he's listening to some music. And uh, the guy's like, yeah, pretty great, right? And the guy, my dad's like, yeah, whatever. You know, and he goes, that's exactly what it sounded like in the studio. <laughs> and my dad is listening. And he's like, my dad realizes he mixed this record. <laughs> <laughs> And he goes, no, no, that's that's not it. No, <laughs> it didn't sound like this at all. You know, it, we actually use X, these speakers instead actually weren't like oh, the most great. expensive ones. They purposely don't use like the most expensive ones because it's like, yeah, if you listen on the highest end, then the casual listener won't hear that yeah. experience. But you want something that's like perfect for it. 
but it was like this moment of it. So, um, so my dad, I, so my dad and I, you know, we talk a lot about music and I remember this point I had when learning guitar that I started hearing songs differently of actually like hearing a guitar riff or a chord or something. And actually the vision in my head was me playing the thing and like seeing like how that, um, that harmony played out on a guitar. And I was upset because now I couldn't just sit back and listen to it. You know, I miss that. I have a, a, a huge jealousy a bit yeah. of like, yeah, I just want to zone out and listen to a piece of music and just accept the piece of music instead of my brain instantly going, stop what you're doing and now <laughs> figure this thing out, you know? And other times I can do that, but I don't have that perception or that that perspective anymore of like, is this a good song or a bad song from from, you know, from someone who isn't aware of that stuff. And it's not to say like I'm aware of everything. I'm absolutely not. I, I see in a different light now that was completely altered. I'm like, but I just want to like the I want to yeah. be fed something and not think like, yeah. well, that's I've heard that chord progression 20 million times. Um, I just want to be like. Yeah, this is wonderful. Good job. <laughs> about the only thing that I would say that I have that sort of perspective about, other than I guess you know science and chemistry, because that's what I do for a living. But um, you know, I grew up in the ballet world, which is oh really, ooh, that's a scene. That, that, is, that uh, absolutely that is, a, is. Yeah, yeah. Oh my my parents put me Cincinnati in dance when had I was the biggest ballet scene I know. Actually, <laughs> oh lord, <laughs> I I mean I. I started at like three years old. I did the full on, like I was 20, 30 hours a week, you know, wow. at the studio, that sort of thing. Like I grew up in that studio and mm -hmm. that's all I did besides school for all the way through high school. That's, mm -hmm. that was my, so my entire so identity. It's something Sorry? you really click with. This. So dance is like a yeah. real thing. Yeah. Yeah. So like if I see, you know, there's dance, not so much the ballroom ones, like the celebrity one, I forget the name of that, but like. Dancing with Stuff the like stars? So You Think that You Can one. Dance. And yeah, I yeah. don't watch Dancing with the Stars. No, no. But like the So You Think You Can Dance kind of things, like I have an appreciation for exactly how difficult what they're doing is, mm -hmm. you know, that I know like the details of what they're yeah. doing and how they're that's getting great. there, you know? And I, I think that's wonderful. Something, um, something I find interesting is that every piece of culture that you know, I remember as a kid, like, oh, I'm getting dragged to this thing or whatever. I... As I as I've gotten older, every element you can in culture is every hobby to me. Uh, there's something about it that is clearly appealing to a large group of people in some mm -hmm. fashion. And if you take a moment to figure out what that is, it is so wonderful. You yeah. know, I would be I'd be jealous to go to a dance performance and just kind of you know and 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 with you, I would love to do that and just say, all right, what's going on? What do you see? I want to understand yeah. it. And yeah. with a lot of these things, it's not this insurmountable uh, discovery that you can't do yourself. Everyone, if people have done it, that means you can too, right? Um, and with, when you talk about with me and music, the way I see it versus versus you, uh, yeah, any uh, like sing down with a song, like all right, this is what I'm listening to. Trust me, you can listen to it too. I'll just play it back, and you'll hear that exact thing. And like, oh right, like it's yeah. it's, it's it's there. Um, it's not some amazing incredible skill that i have that is just you know I'm like oh it's, it's just a different way of doing it that you can learn too um so that that's really cool and do you do you find yourself going to a lot of dance shows now i don't actually and i don't dance ever as an no. adult like i don't Why not? I, I have never as an adult like 
gone to a club dancing. I don't dance. Like there are adult type dance classes and sort of like salsa as well too. My friends have done and never done a bit of it. I think I must have burned myself out when I was younger because I have (laughs) absolutely no desire. I stopped at eighteen when I went to college because that's like taller to eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it was like full on serious because I was, you know, teaching the little kids and taking my own classes and traveling and competing on the weekends. And Jenny, I know you have a great ballet story. You must. (laughs) I, uh, so the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Think about this. Yeah. I want you to take a moment, really think about that and we'll get to it right after this break. All right. So I'm excited for this. Uh, Jenny, tell us your best ballet story. So this is actually not ballet. It's a different kind of dance. But okay. I, when I was about 15 or 16, maybe, my dance company did a full-on production of Thriller. Really? So, yeah. So we had smoke machines. And we the oh cool my. part for about it for me was that we got to do it all ourselves. So we went to a thrift store and we bought some old clothes and we, you know, roughed them up ourselves. So they were kind of torn and yeah. tattered. And we took... Um, makeup lessons, you know, I know how to do like stage makeup, but this was like, you know, um, zombie makeup. Mm -hmm. So we took classes on how to do the zombie makeup. And I learned how to apply some of the little prosthetics and do like some of the effects to make your eyes look sunken and all that. And we took this whole show on the road. We did competitions with it, with our full smoke machines and the whole thing. And um, we got second in national competition with it. So that was like probably the most fun um, dance experience that? that I ever had. Sorry. What was your role? Was it just as one of the zombies? Yeah. Yeah. We just did the full, there was no Michael Jackson involved. Oh, okay. We gotcha. did the, we the did ensemble. the like group dance. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. We, uh, it's, it's funny you say that in, uh, in school we had to all take dance from fifth to eighth grade. Really? Yeah. Um, fifth, well, fifth and sixth grade, we took dance and then seventh and eighth you were given, uh, you're able to take dance or theater tech or theater or music. And my, I think my mom convinced me to do dance in both as the most applicable one. So I did like dance and theater and then theater and music and whatever. I did dance for two more years. And I think it was sixth grade as an entire grade. We all learned thriller. Oh, really? uh, That's so and funny. I just remember like, the going backwards and we go one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. <laughs> and one, two, you know, doing the whole like raising yeah. your arms up. Yeah. And then the, the one, two, one, two, three is like over your knees and um, with your mm-hmm. hands. Um, man. And then we, uh, and then there's like a video of us as 12 year olds on my friend's country house, like lawn. There's 10 of us, all friends. There's a video of us all performing it together. That's so great. And it's Somebody like needs to find that boys. video. Yeah, no, right? These 12-year-old boys doing this and being like, oh, we learned this thing. We're going to do this. Oh, the innocence of youth. We need Justin uh, Mason to dig that up the way he dug up the old <laughs> Alex Fast on, on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives or whatever that I mean, was. Yeah, right. Uh, gosh, was that what that was? Um, I mean, I'm, not, I'm no acclaimed actor, though. I don't have an IMDb <laughs> page. That's right? true. Alex is the actor amongst He's us all. The famous one of Picture List. Let's be honest yeah. here. Uh, but that's <laughs> so funny. You said Thriller. Uh, that's like the one dance I know. Ish. I, I've got the clap. And they, they <laughs> shimmy down. Yep. And all right. Yep. Oh, boy. That's been 20 years. Um, that's really cool. 
And so, so you gave that up because you were burnt out or you just went to college. You're like, I don't have time for this anymore. Yeah. I went to college and just like, there was no way I was going to be a professional dancer. So I just didn't. And I, I backstory, I dated the same guy all the way through high school and college. And then a couple years after college, so Mm -hmm. 10 full years there. And we kind of made some decisions together about that sort of thing where he was actually a absolutely studly pitcher for our baseball team in high school. He was dominant. Uh Uh-huh. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, No, he's ready. But I mean, in the, in the Northern Cincinnati suburbs where we were, it was actually a pretty high quality competition. Mm -hmm. And um, he was, I think lost one game in his entire high school career was, I mean, his entire, his ERA was like 0.8 or something like that. He played on the um, club team, the Midland club team, which is the one that Barry Larkin played for and Ken Griffey played for. And he actually played oh, on that team with Kevin Euclid. So I met, I've, I've met Kevin Euclid a few times back in high school when he didn't go to our high school. He went to a neighboring one, but they played uh-huh. on the same summer team together. That's amazing. So yeah. But anyway, either one, neither one of us thought, you know, we're going to be professionals out of this. Right. Um, he actually was recruited by some good schools and decided not to do it. And we just sort of both said, you know, we were both pretty um, serious about school. So we just mm-hmm. sort of thought, I don't want to be a student athlete because it's just too much, too much work. Yeah. You know, I want to be able to focus on school. We were both at the time pre-med. So it was... Um, just kind of like you just kind of had to leave that part behind, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so where'd you go to school then? At, for college? Yep. Ohio State. Ha-ha. Ohio. Right. Oh, And we are Jenny. not going to talk about the Ohio State Michigan Jenny. game. I, I forgot, Jenny. I, I think that's one yeah, of those Yeah, you wouldn't ask me to be do. on this, would you? <laughs> it, it's one of those. You should take this as a massive compliment that I forgot because I cared enough about you to not let that <laughs> hold me back. Right. Oh boy. Um, yeah. if everyone listening doesn't know my sister went to Michigan. So, uh, there's a reason for that. You don't listen to the Govier podcast. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I've had a couple conversations with Govier. Yeah. Oh, right. So how was the Ohio state? I loved it. I, I love going to a really big school. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I had a lot of fun with it. I, you know, I lived in the dorm freshman year. I didn't love living in dorms and then went off campus after that. And I had a good time. I wasn't um, much of a party or anything. Like I was, you know, had some alcohol here and there, but I was not uh, a big partier. So I mostly right. just studied <laughs> and got through it that way. Got my chemistry degree and then got out of there. And was it a... Uh, um just a med school after that? So I didn't, I was pre-med for a while and then it turned out that I don't really like the biology part. <laughs> mm, yeah. So yeah. I, I briefly thought for a while about being an anesthesiologist cause I figured that's very chemistry focused. Sure. Part of medicine. Yeah. And you know, you can get paid well and yeah, do that. That's, what, that's all I know about anesthesiologists. It's just like, I know, it, right. It pays you well. That's it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I just, I, by the time I got to my fourth year of school, I just didn't really feel like doing school anymore. Mm. <laughs> I was ready to be done. And, you I know, was, my I was the same exact way. I was going to be <clears throat> a psych uh, going to grad school for all of that. And I just, I, I couldn't, couldn't do, do it. it. My, yeah. my parents both have PhDs. They're both professors, actually. And um, it was horrifying to them. 
that I did not go to grad school. For 10 years, easily, after undergrad, they asked me when I was going back to grad school. When are you going back? When are you going back? Yeah. And I just had to break their hearts and say, I'm not going back. Well, I mean, it seems like you found your, your place, though. Yeah, my dad came up to Columbus from Cincinnati to give a talk at Ohio State. And I walked him around the company that I'm at and said, look, I have a real job. <laughs> I, I don't need a PhD. Right, <laughs> you know? exactly. I can have a real job. I do real things, real work. It's yeah, a yeah. really professional job. I'm fine, I promise. Oh, boy. I Yeah, that, that's a constant thing is, um, I mean, I've had I've had conversations about, you know, like picture list. Like, is that a real thing, Nick? Is that... <laughs> You know, do you have staff? Is that right? Or, um, yeah, that's a common thing I imagine with parents uh, saying, "No, don't worry, I'm doing a different path than you envisioned," mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a real thing. But I mean, so so after the not going to grad school, then, I, uh, what was your first job out of college? My first job out of college is the job that I'm at now. Is that believe right? It or not. Yes, oh, I've been great. in my, I've been in my job for 22 years. Oh wow. Um. Yeah. Hopefully, you've gotten a raise uh, in that time. A little bit, okay, <laughs> not good. as much as I would like. <laughs> well, of course, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I started there as an intern during my last year and then just like transitioned right into full time. And I, I started out, um, I work at a company in Columbus that is, um, the best way to describe it is sort of like a research and development company. So like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the old commercials that used to say like, they work for a company called BASF and they would say like, we don't make the things that you buy. We make the things that you buy better. And that's sort of what my company does where we do sort of a lot of the background research in all kinds of fields. We have like a transportation department. We have an environmental department. We have a medical devices department. I work in national security. Um, and we just sort of do a lot of that, like under what's the word, like undercurrent research, that, um, you know, for materials and, you know, government research, stuff like that, that sort of is the foundation for a lot of those kinds of mm-hmm. things, if that makes sense. I just rambled. So, and what is your <laughs> position exactly? Uh, I'm a, I'm a forensic chemist, which, mm-hmm. um, is not the kind of forensic chemist that you see on like a forensic files. I do, um, more of, I have more of an international focus. Um, my group works with, um, chemical weapons agents specifically, so we have very, very high security kind of work. Um, we test for chemical weapons if there is any kind of worldwide incident. You know, we do that testing. And then the thing that I've sort of been doing on the side for the last couple years, oh, last probably eight years, is um, my company developed um, a mobile laboratory for the military. Really? So. Yes. So it is um, a system of four shipping containers Mm -hmm. that um, can be dropped with a parachute anywhere around the world. And then it gets um, expanded and moved out. They have like those sort of slide out walls like an RV. Oh my gosh. And it's got its own generator, its own water supply, its own everything. And we have full laboratory capabilities in there. So within about... 12 hours, they can be up and running testing for a whole suite of biological, uh, chemical, radioactive, and there's like sample prep capabilities in it. Why is it 12 hours? Is that for the generator to get running or the water? It takes a lot of time to take it to, so it comes with everything just smashed into a small space. So it's all compacted. So you, 
there's a huge document about how to set this thing up. So like an you Ikea take, thing on steroids. Yeah, oh, okay. it's insane. <laughs> Especially when you want to talk, I wrote a lot of these documents. So you want to talk about like the way that the military style of writing is just, oh, oh gosh. It's yeah. Awful. Oh, boy. Yeah. So yeah, like you have to um, open everything up and power. It all has a whole way of being powered on. There's a glove box, you know, the kind where you stick your arms in the sleeves. Yep. Sure. Um, and so that has its own power up and testing. Every piece of equipment has to be powered up and has all of these functional checks that need to be done on it before everything is ready to go. It's a, it's a really involved process because we have probably 12 different uh, analytical instruments in there that all need their own startup and system check procedures and stuff. So I was part of um, developing that. And then um, I wrote, like I said, a lot of the documentation on how to operate all that equipment. And then I've been traveling around since 2015 um, training soldiers. So I, tra- I travel to different military bases and I train Good. the soldiers how to on how to operate their equipment. Thing. Yeah. Essentially yeah. unpack it and be like, hey, this is how you use this. Unpack. Yeah. And it, I mean, I'm training also, I'm training guys that don't have, you know, a scientific background. Right. So it's a definitely a different experience to teach someone who doesn't have a science degree how to operate some of these like I mean, advanced so, instruments. So I imagine then you have a lot of skills of communication that are applicable, not just to certain people in the military, but like a lot of people listening uh, could definitely learn from. Yeah. I, when I first started, I was terrified, just terrified mm-hmm. of the whole thing, especially because, you know, you're getting up in front of a bunch of soldiers, you know, and right, I'm right. just, you know, me getting up there and I just sort of, am like, these guys aren't going to take me seriously. You know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But I think it's just, I've learned that just sort of being friendly and relatable and like talking to them, like I would talk to a friend of mine and not being, not lecturing, not like acting like, you know, I'm the chemist, I know all this stuff and you, you know, and having that sort of air about me, I think just goes a long way that if you're just like you, you know, have just sort of a friendly rapport with people and it just helps the mood, the, you know, because people don't want to be in training. (laughs) Nobody wants to do that. And it's sometimes a four week long training class. So, you know, it's a, yeah, it's an involved class. So you end up getting pretty friendly with everybody by the end. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just have kind of slowly gotten used to it, I guess. Right. I still, I'm still not totally used to it. I still get really nervous. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I imagine it's a lot of dumbing down language, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to, I mean, you really have to start. It's part of the reason it's a four-week long course is you have to really start with the basics of, you know, how to prepare a sample and then how to analyze it. And you have to sort of... I have to get away from a lot of the analytical chemistry um, terminology that I'm used to, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you need to uh, discipline at all when you do this? No, especially not in the military. Those guys, I mean, there are times when, you know, I'll I'll start a run on the gas chromatograph and I'll say, all right, this is going to run for 15 minutes. So go do whatever you want and come back in 15 minutes. And they don't know what to do with themselves. (laughs) <laughs> they want to be told they want to have something to do every right, minute. Right, right, And they want to be told, like, they just were like, what? I'm just supposed to have downtime? Like, they don't know what to do with that. So, oh, yeah, they're they're very um, – I've had a few instances where guys are kind of have a little too big of an ego and want to, you know, talk down to me. But other than that, like, everybody's been very receptive and very, you know, 
friendly about the whole thing. This is so wild. Jenny, when I was going to start this podcast with you, I did not think I would be on a path talking about airdropping uh, <laughs> <laughs> airdropping and shipping containers, uh, yep. portable laboratories that expand. You never know what you're going to get with and, me. I'm a, and I'm has a, a manual that is the, the equivalent of a Barry Bonds manual. Um, compared to an Ikea, my, I just made my table that, that it's like 2000 page document. Yeah. I, I made, I, 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 I constructed a, a new coffee table that has the first thing that comes <laughs> up, you know, it has like a little, like oh, the, the, I know nice. the little pistons that come up and I felt proud of that taken me about an hour and a half, two hours and yeah. like, Oh yeah, well, here's this thing that takes 12 hours to put together. Oh boy. Oh my gosh. And this is so cool. I'm just, I mean, I'm imagining, yeah, the, there's something about the gloves. You know, I know yeah. this. You have like a, a bin of some kind and then you have the gloves mm-hmm. interact inside of it so that you're protected. You're not, you know, if there's a leak or anything or you're not affected mm-hmm. by it. But there's something so cool about that. I don't know. You don't see that without something legit being involved. <laughs> Well, right. there was um, there is a previous version of this laboratory that um, all of the um, National Guard units have. There's one in every state. They're currently fielded right now, and they're sort of a um, the size of an ambulance, and they have sort of a smaller group of instruments in mm-hmm. them. The Ohio National Guard, I've worked with them a lot on their um, laboratory, and they told me a story once of a policeman stopping a car and pulling like an old metal box out of the trunk and it had some vials of liquid in it and they didn't know what it was. And so they brought it to the national guard and they put it in their glove box. So, you know, the idea is that that is fully contained with its own exhaust system. So you are completely protected and they went to open one of the vials and it just exploded. No, it coated the entire inside of the glove box with what turned out to be a chemical agent. Oh gosh. So that person would have been soaked and most likely would not have survived. Wow. And the fact that they were in that glove box, he was completely fine. Ooh, God. Yeah. Just the terror of that (laughs) moment. You know, I mean, I imagine there's some color involved too. So yeah, it's like a yellowish. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh man, I'm so happy to be in my New York City apartment, safe from everything and protected. I work with chemical agents every day, not on a glove box. I would just oh, work gosh. in a regular fume hood. So it's, it's not that crazy for me. But I know, you know that people that aren't chemists, it seems weird. I would make a joke that my staff are chemical agents, but they're not. They're wonderful. <laughs> they don't explode. Like I, I don't even want to say that about them. They're just wonderful people. Uh, so, I mean, what was the day? Like, this is really cool stuff, Jenny. And were you working on this from the beginning? I mean, it's been 22 years. Was there a moment that you finally started doing this kind of stuff and you sat back and go, this is not what I expected? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I started out, um, at this company in the environmental group and I was there for four years Mm -hmm. and that was very different. That was, um, there was still a lot of military work involved, but that's only because back in the, I don't know, anytime before about the eighties, the military was just dumping whatever yeah. into the surround. You know, if you're on a military base, they'll have, you know, like a plane that's getting, let's say, washed and they use like a chemical cleanser. They'll drain the gas and all of that runoff just goes onto the concrete pad that the plane is on and then just runs off 
into the surrounding soil and groundwater and that sort of thing. And then some, um, uh, plants and, and I worked at a, an old paper destroyed paper plant at one point where we would just, we worked on, we didn't actually do the remediation. We, uh, researched the different remediation, um, techniques and tried mm-hmm. to advise which ones we thought were best. So I did a lot more like EPA type work, um, at the beginning. And then that group decided that they didn't want to use um, an analytical chemist anymore. They just wanted to send their samples out because it's just easier. So I transferred into the group that I'm in now and I've been there since 2004. Oh, man. So I've been doing pretty much the same thing since 2004, <laughs> if you can you, believe it. <laughs> uh, are you a paratrooper with the containers? <laughs> that would be fun, but no, I've never so skydived. Cool. I would love to skydive. That's all oh, you on should do. You should arrive sure. with the container. <laughs> you just deliver a chemist with the laboratory. Then, then you just and then like the 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 containers fall down, and then you you land on top of the container. The camera goes underneath. <laughs> there's the shot of you, hands on your hips, looking up. Did somebody order a lab? <laughs> Yes, we need to make this happen. A Jenny I'm Butler story. <laughs> I'm here for it. Oh, man. Uh, so we have a lot of other things we want to talk about. But before we do, we have to take a quick break. Okay. All right. So I know Jenny, of course, through the industry. And I have to ask, I mean, as you're doing all these things and creating inspiration for superhero films, um, how did you get involved in the baseball community? So I've loved baseball my whole life. It's easily my favorite sport. When, when I was, um, maybe 10 or 12, we had, uh, season tickets for a few years to the reds. Um, my family and my best friend's family. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was in the good years. So I had it in uh, 1990, the world series year. Oh, wow. Never mind. Yeah. 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 Eric Davis, Barry Larkin, Chris Sabo, Joe Oliver, the whole thing, the nasty boys, the goggles goggles of Chris Sabo. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah, I was at game two of the World Series that year when Joe Oliver hit an extra inning, I think it was a double, to score mm. the winning run. And we were in literally the very top row of the old Riverfront Stadium. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was great. That's wonderful. So yeah, I've been a Reds fan my whole life. I think when you grow up in Cincinnati, it's just sort of in you. Like Cincinnati is definitely a baseball town. I mean, mm-hmm. other than probably St. Louis, I would say it's the biggest baseball town. Um. So I've always been interested in baseball and I've always kind of been a gamer, not so much video games, but just like, I like strategy games. I like, you know, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I've, I, when in about probably 2005 or six, um, I had a friend at work who was in a fantasy baseball league and he, uh, asked if my boyfriend and I wanted to join. Well, really he asked my boyfriend to join and I tagged along. Little and did they know. I know, right? So I went the first year. I think I just sort of sat and watched the first year. But then the next three years, I drafted teams for other players in the league who couldn't make it to the draft. My home, this is still my home league. And we have a live draft every year, which I highly recommend. If there's any way for people to have a so live draft, better. it's just it's, so oh much better. Gosh, yeah. So and this was a bunch of Ohio State friends that um, had moved all over the country, but everybody would come back every year. And it's just the best. Everybody comes back every year and we have a, make a full weekend of it. We have a wiffle ball game and a barbecue on Friday. 
and we have a all day draft on Saturday. Jenny, we, it's, I, it is a hybrid auction and snake draft. It takes full so, 10 hours. Wait, wait, how do you do a hybrid auction and snake? Do you do like eight rounds? We of... do eight rounds of auction. Okay. And then you transition so, to snake from there. Yeah. So the way it actually works is you, it's, it's a little bit of a keeper league. So you keep eight players or you designate eight players as keepers from mm -hmm. the previous year's team. And then uh, for the auction, you auction off your own players. And once the auction is finished, the bidding is finished, you are allowed to keep that player for $1 more than the highest bid. Oh, interesting. So you always have the option to keep the player, yeah. but sometimes the prices can get insane. Like I had Mike Trout from his rookie season through maybe two years ago. And you always kept the And I often yeah. paid an exorbitant amount because they knew I was going to keep him. And there were times I paid $65 for Mike Trout, right, right. you know. But it's Mike but Trout, I, Jenny. Yes. I'm, I'm, doesn't bother me. <laughs> so, so yeah, the nice thing about it is, um, you know, the auction takes, I don't know, probably three hours just for eight rounds because we're slow. We don't, we're not in a hurry. And uh, we stop, we have a lunch break, and then we start the snake part of the draft. And it goes 32 rounds, I believe, the snake part. So it's a very deep league. And yeah. so I kind of jumped in to the deep end as far as fantasy what? goes. It's a holds league. It's uh it's oh, I just I just heard Kevin uh Hasting on I guess it was Rob's podcast talking about how his original home league allowed 10 free agent pickups a year. My home league allows eight free oh agent gosh. pickups a year, four in the first half and four in the second half. So ignore half. my strategies completely. Yeah, oh yeah, like you what you do wouldn't work in my league. You can't, right. Because yeah. actually, you also have to have five starters part, and five relievers. So that's oh, okay. All right, we're, now we're done. Now we're moving. Well, it's a whole league. <laughs> so kidding. it's I'm it's. Joking. I've gotten over the intricate, the weird rules. Like I just sort of appreciate it now for, you know, the camaraderie and the, yeah, it's no, just like I'm a so great group of friends that have been doing it for twenty um, years, and we love it. Like, draft day. Even though you know, I go to Vegas, I draft NFBC, I do all this stuff. My home league draft day is the best day of the year. I like, I um, have down. a lot of dreams and aspirations of pitcher list for it, I should say. One of them is to get to a point where the Legacy League is an event. The draft for the Legacy League is that a live cool. snake draft in person. Um, because if you don't know, we have our whole relegation base. Uh, or, sorry, relegation I love that, system. by the way three of the premier leagues and then we have yep. the rest of the staff is an elo set up <laughs> for who goes where it's it's wild huge thanks to andrew perpetua for helping out with the elo <laughs> um but i but yeah my dream is to do that because like, i had a home league for ages and when i started doing this i it fell apart i i was a commissioner for so long i was like guys i cannot be a commissioner anymore it's always just such a busy time for me and i can't oh, I know. do it um, and no one stepped up. No one wanted to take it over. Um, and it just, it fell through. And that was a keeper league where you kept eight every year. And uh, I, I learned how to do things in 2011. I figured it out finally. So I, I draft, I sent away all these players, got all these players back. I traded uh, Alex Rodriguez for John Carlos Stanton at that point. <laughs> Um, and then I, I got Justin Upton at some point, I traded like all my players to keep Justin, whatever, doesn't matter. One in 2012, one in 2014, one in 2016. <laughs> and then, then it ended. I think it was 2016. 
Um, but I, but yeah, I miss it so much. It's yeah. different, and I gotta make uh, the idea of a weekend of like you have a barbecue and you all gather oh, together. So great. This whole thing. Oh, we call the barbecue is called the meat fest, by the way. Oh gosh. <laughs> And it's, these are also my group of friends who I, my, one of my biggest, you know, side hobbies is cooking. I love to cook. I'm a big culinary type person. And, um, these are like my, also my culinary friends. So like people go all out for meat fest and it's great. I love, love the whole thing. Yeah. Do you have a certain dish that you always make? So I often, because so many people come from out of town that they can't contribute as much. So I generally bring quite a bit and I often um, will cater to the vegetarians. We have a couple of vegetarians and since it's meat fest, you know, mm-hmm, you right. got to think about the vegetarians. So I'll make like a vegetable curry. I'll make some pasta salads. I'll make, you know, side dishes and stuff. But one year I did make bacon chocolate chip cookies, bacon. which were delicious. Really? Yeah, you use bacon fat as the fat in the cookie, oh. and there's pieces of bacon in the cookie too. Jenny, I have such a sweet tooth. It's amazing, and I've been as much as I can. I uh, trying to limit sugar because of my sweet tooth. I just let myself go in sugar over the years, um, and I can't hear that right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that yeah, sounds. So they were delicious. a big hit. My, yeah, my my mom. Sorry, my sister made for my dad because my dad doesn't really like sweets a bacon cake once hmm. um it was interesting it yeah. actually was had bacon but it was like sweet like mapleized bacon and in a cake form it was odd it worked but now i, I the want chocolate these chip cookies, cookies yeah. are probably better a better My use of bacon and super a... into baking so i might but she's a vegetarian i can't do that to her. <laughs> i can't do that uh so so never mind but oh that sounds so good it's great. Man, I got now I'm like planning like. of like how I would construct this weekend of fun. You said there's wiffle ball too. Duh. Of there's wiffle ball. Wiffle ball. Of course. Yeah. yeah we do that. At the Although Speed we're all up. getting old yeah. now. So everybody's the day after the wiffle ball game at the draft. Everybody's ah. whining and complaining about how sore they are. <laughs> oh, that's funny. We, uh, we did a wiffle ball last year for the pitchless meetup. We would get a, um, uh, a, a field. We actually, John Metzler worked for the parks department in New York. <laughs> So we would get a permit through him and we would take one of the seven fields that you have, one with like a softball field or something in Prospect Park. And no one was there. We did not need to get this permit. Like it was so July great. or something like that and no need um, in 2021. But we uh, we played it, but we realized that like we can't really do it. So we created a line where like essentially like where the base pass would be. We created a like a diamond. And then if you on a fly hit a wiffle ball past it, it's a home run. If you <laughs> bounced it and it got past the defender, it's a double. And then otherwise, if they cleanly field it, um, it's an out. That's that, that was the rule. Caught on the line or if it's a grounder, then you got to throw it to first. Uh, and it worked for, for us old men. Playing yeah. wiffle ball, unlike the old days of actual like proper wiffle ball running around the bay. Oh my gosh, that was that was a lot. Uh, but that no, sounds we're so all too cool. old for that. Yeah, yeah. but it's yeah. it's so much fun. I love my home league. Oh, uh, do you have a name for it? It's called the Munson Memorial Meritocracy. That's the MMM. A, that, that's actually what I was going to guess. Well, you didn't let me guess. That's not fair. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've gone right for that, that, right? Yeah. 
I don't even know. It was called that before. I, so it existed maybe five or six years before I joined. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know it's Thurman Munson, but I don't right. know. I mean, I guess Memorial Meritocracy, I guess sure. it's just sort of ex- self-explanatory. So, so here you are. This is your first league, right? You've been doing this mm-hmm. for ages. Let's continue the story here, how you got to where you are in the baseball industry. Yeah. So um, I I continued in that league for a while, but it, you know, as much as I love those guys, I wanted to play more seriously And that league is such a group of friends that they don't play, you know, hard against each other. So, you know, we'll have the auction portion and somebody will go, oh, you know, Joe Maurer, I know how much you like him. I'll let you have him, you know, stuff like that. And I Mm -hmm. just had more of a competitive, you know, feeling about it. And I sort of tried to make be more competitive in that league. And it just sort of didn't really jive like people were like hey we're all just friends here and i'm like no but i want to win no, you know like, I, and wanna, it just, I wanna yeah you want to be pushed. yeah it was just i needed to like take my competitiveness elsewhere so that i could right. really enjoy that league for what it was meant I mean, to be you're still looking for those leagues though right because you're successful in tgfbi and nfbc and everything so yeah. where are you gonna find your actual competitive league jenny i went to nfbc so i started playing in the main events i went straight to i went full-on straight to las vegas main event mm-hmm. in 2017 so I've been playing in the main event for a little while now. And um, I started out playing um, a couple of other, I started out in NFBC in 2014 and then went to the main event in 2017. And I've, I love it. I, I think it's, you know, I know that it's not for everybody. And, um, you know, I, I know that the fantasy analysis world kind of gets a little hyper-focused on NFBC, mm-hmm. but for me, you know, I don't have, you know, I have this group of friends that play in my home league, but maybe four or five guys are just kind of in it for fun. You know, they're not yeah, really, no, right. they're not in it, you know, so I, I, I like having a league where I know that everybody is trying all the way to the last day of the season. Yeah, right. You know, right. it makes a big difference to me. And I'm also, you know, I have sort of, I'm a gambler. I have that in me. So like, I mm-hmm. like the uh, money making aspect of it. You know, sure, I yeah. like trying to, you know, invest this amount of money and put my money where my mouth is and, you know, try to make a profit on it. Like I'm also in it for the profits of it. Right. Yeah. That's great. Uh, man, I, I mean, the, the thing that scares me the most about NFBC is the amount of time it takes to do your waivers and everything on Sunday. It I takes just can't do it. so much time. I can't do it. I'm for me in season Saturday and Sunday are my days off and what i mean by that is i still have to do the sp roundup and the streamers every day so i need to give myself that five to ten on sundays you know yeah Uh, and i can't do it it's just i mean i probably spend 10 12 hours on fab every week gosh and i have i have six last year i had six fab leagues i won't go over six ever Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean it's a serious time investment and you know people Over the years, you know, there's been Twitter conversations and that sort of thing about how we get more women doing this. You know, there's women in the industry, but there aren't a ton of women playing in the highest stakes NFBC leagues. And I think part of that is the time commitment. You know, I don't have children. I have my job and my job is demanding, but I don't have a lot of other responsibilities besides that. So, you know, I have my partner who's, you know, self-sufficient and I have a few cats and, you know, other than that, I can, I have the ability to spend eight hours in front of my computer on a Sunday doing fab. And I think that, you know, even, 
I've noticed that a lot of the women in the industry don't have children. And Mm. it's, I think it's a big, you know, block to being able to really do this at a high level because, you know, you might have a partner, a husband that's very supportive and raising the children and whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, it almost always falls back on the mother to take the, you know, bulk of the child rearing. So like, you're not, you just don't have the time, you know? And I, I saw like Justin's wife try to get into it and kind of struggle with time and time management and stuff. And it just, it sucks up a lot of time. You have to, in order to be good at it in NFBC, especially in the main event, you just have to put in a lot of time. And I just don't know that that's for everyone. I, I don't think you can shoehorn somebody in to a situation like that. Because it's Absolutely, not you're not going to yeah. be successful if you aren't able to put in the amount of time that's required. Yeah, Potts, Dave Potts, I, I have so much respect for him. Yeah, he's uh, great. I said something at uh, First Pitch Arizona about everyone in the room was there. He's like, hey, everyone here is good enough to win the main event. Like, it's not like yeah. we have some magic sauce or something. Oh, yeah. But do you have the time to win the main event, right? Um, And I just want to, I want to play the uh, NFBC main event really badly. I just don't want to do fab. If I can find a <laughs> a deal with somebody, it's a partner, yeah, to have my partner to do it, I'll be like, hey, cool. Tell me the pictures that we're picking up and all that. I'll tell you all the things you want. You let me know when you have it all set up. Or fine, we'll take like thirty minutes or something on Sunday and have a conversation about it, and then I'm out. You know, and that's what I want to yeah. do. I uh, gosh, that'd be so fun. I would. I would have. It's the best great. Time I love it. That. And I, you know, like one of the advantages I have, you know, because I'm not a huge player analysis type person, that's not the strengths of my play. The way that I compete is with time. I know I I generally like if you look at my um, team standings this past season, there was sort of a steady increase because Mm -hmm. I'm doing all the little things of like streaming hitters and changing, getting, make sure all of my lineups are changed on Mondays and Fridays. And even on Mondays and Fridays, I'm watching as each lineup comes out. And if somebody's not playing, I'm getting them out of there or, you know, making that decision and you just have to be on top of it. And, you know, for me, that's one of the places that I can gain an edge by spending that time and looking at that sort of that everyday work that goes into it. Yeah. Oh boy. I'm not going to do that. It's a lot. That's okay. I do enough. I'm fine. (laughs) What you should do, though, is come out to Vegas for the drafts because when is that? It's um, around the last week of March. I don't know the the exact dates off the top of my head. Before opening day. Yes. Okay. And it's just like they have thinking about it. Uh, Multiple conference rooms um, reserved, and Mm -hmm. everybody's just milling around. Just you know, it's sort of like first pitch Arizona, where you know people are just milling around, talking about their teams and what's going on, and people are going out to dinner and that sort of thing. And it's just, it's a great time. I'm actually staying this year. I'm coming in on Thursday to Vegas, and then I'm staying through an entire week so that I can be there on opening day. And I have a recliner reserved at the Circa Sportsbook downtown Las Vegas. And I paid, I think I paid around $200 and I have the the recliner for the entire day. All food and drink are included. I don't have to get up from my seat other than to go <laughs> to the bathroom. And, the it, and because the Circa Sportsbook is a three-story screen, 
Uh-huh. You know, because I can get in the recliner, you know, you just recline back, you know, like That's you're at amazing. the movies or something. You have never seen have Sandy Alcantara like this before. All the games <laughs> I have all planned out. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, I've never been to Vegas. Um, really? Yeah, well, it's just not me. Like that whole culture is just not Nick Pollock. Uh, I'm not someone who's that thrill seeker for a crazy night out or whatever like that. I just m- not appealing to me. I don't do um, Las Vegas like most people do, though. Right. So, so I've never had a reason to go. And yeah. this would be a reason to go. It would be. Um, it sounds super fun. Uh, obviously, it, it costs things to go. Um, it's an expensive place. It's also, I, I don't know what my life looks like always at that point. Uh, because it's the week before the season starts. It's always a big draft weekend. It's always, mm-hmm. um, and when it comes to running the site, making sure that everything is okay. It's like the calm before the storm at the start of the year. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's just kind of boring and I'm just waiting for it to start. So it's possible that I could do this. I probably will need to have a list out on Monday. Uh, but maybe I fly back Sunday night or something Most like that. Most people come in um, Thursday, Friday, and stay through Sunday, and that's it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was thinking about it actually earlier today. So. You should we'll definitely see. try it. Even uh, if you're not no going to draft. Way. I, I mean, say this to anybody. Even if you're not going to draft. I mean, yeah. they have some, you know, they have like some online championship drafts and things there that are you know, at a more reasonable price point, but you can just walk Honestly, into any room and just watch an auction. Yeah. You can walk in and watch a $10,000 entry auction happening right. right in front of your face. Yeah. That's the one I should do. <laughs> <laughs> just jump right into the deep end. Yeah. Right. No, I, I mean, honestly, I probably would sign up for an online draft, uh, like a draft champions at that point because draft, I mean, uh, draft champions, I, I thought I didn't have to change my lineup. I thought I acted like a pro- proper best yeah. ball that I set your, optimum lineup each week that's what i want to do best ball for that yeah. yeah is there an nfbc best ball i don't know if there's a live one in vegas i don't think <sighs> there is unbelievable but they do have uh best balls and i i've done quite a few of them over the years i actually really so like those the best are balls. fine that's great that's one that's yeah. a wonderful time um, i did a best ball like in arizona you could do that next year yeah i might we'll see we'll see anyway we're getting close to the end of this and there's one last question that i haven't asked you jenny yeah what is your mantra. So I think that my mantra is, is more or less like the golden rule, you know, treat others as you want them to treat you. And I think that in the current, you know, I don't want to get political, but in the current political discourse, there's so much of just this person's on the other side of me. So I hate them. I think that they're a bad person. Right. Because they don't believe what I believe. And I don't agree with that at all. I think that there needs to be more conversation. There needs to be more putting yourself in the other person's shoes. I mean, granted, there are some like truly bad apples out there, but I think that 95% of us are just doing what we think is best for ourselves and our families with the information that we are given on a daily basis. And I think that just having some compassion for other people and having some understanding of where other people are coming from would just go so much longer. And I think that there's so many people that don't want to have a conversation. You know, if, if you are, you know, a right winger, then you are by definition a racist and I will not talk to you. Be, and I, okay, maybe, but there's, there's also so much that can be gained from having conversations with people. And, you know, putting yourself out there. And I just think, you know, that it, there just needs to be so much more of that. 
Yeah, nuance has been lost when you have to say everything in 280 characters. Of course, yeah. And uh, I couldn't agree more about that. Um, there are a lot more good people than bad. Yes, and, yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's You're living here in Ohio. We're, we're, there's um, both both party, you know, both sides of the political spectrum are around you all yeah, day. Right, you know, like right. I, I am with, I work and have, I'm friendly with, people who are ultra conservative and who believe the exact opposite of what I believe, right. but we're still friends, you know, yeah, we still can have a relationship. The battle uh, between the two sides is the accomplishment of the, the powerful. Um, yeah. That's not cool. <laughs> that's not, <laughs> that, that's, that's what they want. Not what do we want? Um, I love that. Um, but Jenny, thank you so much for taking the time here. This was wonderful. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah. I uh, remind everybody where they can find you and uh, what you do. Yeah. Uh, the easiest way to find me is on Twitter at Jenny Butler 830. And I'm going to be doing some off season writing for Rotoballer and then um, figuring out what I'm going to do next year as far as writing. I'm not, I'm not quite sure Just yet. I get, get some paratrooping or skydiving involved. Okay. Oh yes, absolutely. Sure that's I'm absolutely want to skydive. It's on my bucket list. <laughs> But all right, thank you so much for, uh, for coming. And uh, yeah, my name is Nick Pollock, and that was my friend, Jenny Butler.